Amen. We'll open up your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The title for today's message is Prophecy and Tongues. Uh, this is not an easy topic uh, for uh, us to uh, dive uh, into, um, mostly because uh, there are, there's just a lot of confusion. There's a lot of misuse of um, both of these, what, what people call to be uh, these gifts. There's also a lot of neglect of these gifts, which leads to a, a fair bit of misunderstanding. You know, the Super Mario Brothers franchise of uh, video games and television shows and movies started with another video game called uh, Donkey Kong. And uh, have you ever wondered, why on earth is it called Donkey Kong? And there's a number of, you know, it's, it's, it's a giant gorilla throwing barrels at a small uh, Italian man. And why, what, what, does, what do donkeys have to do with it? Well, there's, a, there's been a number of uh, theories uh, out there. One is that it was just a spelling mistake. It was supposed to be called Monkey Kong because it's a gorilla. And, uh, and it somehow just got misspelled to uh, Donkey Kong. Other people said that, you know, in the days of the fax machines, kids, you know what a fax machine is? Just find someone over 30, they'll be able to explain it to you. But there was a smudge in the fax machine when, uh, when the marketing material was going out and what was supposed to be Monkey Kong became Donkey Kong. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that the Japanese game developers uh, wanted, or the, the, the game was supposed to be called Stubborn Monkey. There's this stubborn monkey who just keeps, he, he steals the damsel, she's in distress, and he's throwing the barrels at the small little Italian man. And... They thought, well, stubborn monkey, we need to get this into English. Well, King Kong, uh, you know, the Japanese film was a, was a big deal. And so they thought, well, we'll call the monkey Kong. But we need something to, that, that Americans and Canadians, we need something that Western consumers will be able to identify with stubborn. And what's a stubborn animal? A donkey. And so they thought, brilliant, this is great. We're going to call it donkey Kong, and it became one of the most uh, popular up there with Pac-Man. This is the reason why video games are such a big deal today, because of, uh, because of Donkey Kong and games like that. Language is a funny thing between Japanese culture and English-speaking Western culture. There, there's, there are things that you can miss. If you don't understand the language, you quite often feel like an outsider. Maybe you go to a restaurant or you go even to a, a, to a, 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 a medical clinic and you don't speak the language. You don't feel at ease. You feel like an outsider. Some of us uh, have a family context where parents know a different language from the kids and then when you all of a sudden you hear the parents speak in a different language the kids know okay something's up right now or sometimes the kids know a language that the the parents know even the the slang that kids use today is almost like a code that parents don't quite understand and so language is something that can either make people feel included or language is something that can make people feel uh, discluded excluded and so language is a very, very important thing in Christianity because God is a God who speaks. And his word has been translated into language after language. And we support missionaries here at Hope Church who are laboring to translate the Bible into other languages so that people don't feel like outsiders, so that they can hear God's word in their own native 
tongue. Now today's message is about prophecy and tongues. When the church at Corinth was, was coming together, they were, they were practicing both of these spiritual gifts. Let's get Donkey Kong off the screen. That's highly distracting. Let's go back to the title slide for a minute. They were, they were practicing these, these gifts. And Paul was particularly concerned about how the gift of tongues was, was being practiced at the church at Corinth. People were just spontaneously and loudly speaking in whatever tongue they happened to, to have revealed to them at that particular moment and all at the same time. And so the services were very, very chaotic and no one knew what the tongue speaker was saying. And, and this is what Paul is trying to address, and he compares tongues with prophecy in this passage. Now, we got to understand that as we approach this passage, we're approaching this passage through a particular lens based off our own uh, theological perspective or based off our own uh, church upbringing. There's, there's really two, uh, two perspectives here. One is cessationism, and we've gone over this before. Cessationists believe that the supernatural gifts of healing, tongues, prophecy, and miracles have ceased either when the canon of Scripture was completed or at the death of the last apostle. So cessationists say, regardless of what 1 Corinthians says, it really doesn't apply to us today. This is something that only mattered at the time of the apostles. This only mattered at Corinth. It doesn't matter to us because prophecy or tongues, neither of them should be functioning in the church today. And then there's continuationism. A continuationist believes that the supernatural gifts of healing, tongues, prophecy, and miracles have not ceased and are available to the believer Today And so most of us are coming at this from, from some part of, some, some perspective, either continuationist or cessationist. Now, regardless, we, we covered this a couple of weeks ago, regardless of what side you find yourself on, just about every continuationist and every cessationist can agree on these two statements. One, that the ministries of Jesus and the apostles represented a unique season in history where miracles were frequent. I mean, Jesus walked on water. Uh, he, he, he healed people uh, remotely, people who had been lame from birth or blind from birth. He just said the word. He reached out and touched them. We don't see those kinds of miracles today. The, the, the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, tongues of fire over people's heads and all of these people speaking in all of these different languages that could be understood. We, 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 that was a special time in history. So continuationists need to recognize that and most continuationists do recognize that. But cessationists, people who believe that the gifts have ceased, also need to recognize that God is all-powerful and unchanging and he is able and willing to perform miracles today. Now here's the trouble with tongues though, because for some continuationists, tongues is elevated so high, as if if you don't speak in tongues, you're like barely a Christian. And really the only truly spiritually mature people are the tongue speakers. So the continuationists are elevating it so high but then on the other side there's hardcore cessationists who say one thing I know for sure is that tongues is not from the Holy Spirit then you got to figure out well where else is it coming from 
well, it's, it's, it's uh, there's some sort of psychological disorder or something like that, or it's demonic. And so do you see the challenge here? You got one group looking at the same thing and saying, it's the greatest thing and the most important thing, and is the evidence of true spirit filling. That's one side. And then the other side is saying, that is not the spirit at all. It's not just that it's like not as important. They're saying it's, it's almost demonic. You see? see? And so we really have our work cut out for us if we're going to be able to make sense of what Paul is getting at here. He's been talking about public gatherings of worship for the last several chapters. In chapter 12, he talked about unity and diversity and and working towards a common good, the body metaphor. And then chapter 13 is all about love, that regardless of what gift you have, you need to use that gift for the sake of love. And then now in chapter 14, he's trying to emphasize that worship needs to be intelligible and that it needs to be orderly. It needs to be intelligible. You need to be able to understand what one another are saying. And it needs to be orderly. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. He says, pursue love. That's what chapter 13 was all about. Pursue being patient and being kind. Pursue love. And we learned about that uh, last week through Andrew's excellent message. But it says, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So he started in chapter 12 talking about spiritual gifts. Then he does this huge emphasis on love. But he's not saying forget the gifts and just love one another. He says no. If you are truly motivated by love. Love will make you motivate you to pursue spiritual gifts. But he says to pursue a particular kind of spiritual gift. He says especially that you may prophesy. Especially that you may prophesy. So is he elevating the gift of prophecy above all of the other gifts? I mean, wasn't the whole point of chapter 12 to say that all of the gifts are are of equal value? Why does he say that, that we are especially to prophesy? Well, look at what he says next. What he's trying to do is contrast and compare prophecy with speaking in tongues that are uninterpreted. Look at verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no, one who un- for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries of the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So all throughout these 25 verses, Paul is trying to communicate that uninterpreted tongues are are, are not contributing to the building up of the church. And in order, to, in order to communicate that, he is emphasizing prophecy and why prophecy is superior in building up the body of Christ because people can understand it. And so Paul's really going to move through three phases. He's going to start with the initial comparison. He's going to compare tongues with prophecy. Then he's going to use several illustrations. And then he's going to give some points of application. But we start with the comparison. Notice the language uh, in in verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him. But but he utters the mysteries of the Spirit. Verse 3. On the other hand, he's comparing 
The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but, there's the comparison language, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks unless, more comparison language, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. He's, he's, he's comparing and contrasting speaking in uninterpreted tongues and speaking with prophecy. And notice the main difference. It's, it's mentioned in verse 3, two times in verse 4, and again in verse 5. Paul is saying, what is building up the church? He says that the, the person who speaks in uninterpreted tongues, they are building themselves up. He says, but the person who prophesies, they're building up the church. Building up the church. That is the key difference. Notice, going back to verse 2, he says that the person who speaks in tongues doesn't speak to men. They speak to God. They they don't speak to men. They, They speak to God. Well, what are Tongues. The Greek word there is glossa. It can literally mean the organ in your mouth known as your, your tongue. Or it can also mean a language. This is, this is the same word that's used in Revelation chapter 7. People from every tribe and tongue and language. This describes different languages. This is the same word that's used in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And they spoke in tongues and people from those different tongues who spoke those different languages were able to hear and understand. But there's a difference of what's happening in Corinth. Remember in Acts chapter 2 there was tongues but there was also understanding. Here what was happening in Corinth it says it right there it says the, the person speaks Not to men, but to God. It says, look at there, no one understands him. There is a significant difference here. Now, these tongues that were happening in Corinth or tongues that we hear about are happening in Pentecostal churches or other uh, church gatherings may be another language. And I'm not going to get into the details of linguistics and how the building blocks of language and all the sort of scientific analysis of language that has been happening. But, but tongues, by definition of what the word means and how it was used in Acts chapter 2, could be another language. It could just be a language that we don't yet understand or know. On the other hand, it could be some sort of special angelic language. Remember, chapter 13 started, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels. Verse 2 talks about mysteries of the spirit. It could be some special spiritual language. Mysteries could also just mean something unknown. He's speaking in the spirit and no one, because no one knows the particular language that that person is speaking Regardless of where you land in terms of his tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 about actual languages that are spoken on planet earth by human beings or is it some sort of special spiritual language? Regardless of where you land on that, the the importance of what Paul is saying is that no one understands. That these these tongues are going uninterpreted and that people are coming to church and not speaking to one another but are simply speaking to God. 
And church must be, yes, we must worship and speak to God, but we also must speak to one another and build one another up. Paul's main issue is right there in verse two. No one understands. And then he contrasts that with prophecy in verse three. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding. So here's a summary of what tongues is. Tongues is speaking to God and you build yourself up. Where prophecy is speaking to people and building up the church. So the church at Corinth The individual Christians were kind of using the corporate gathering just as a means to their own personal end. They came to church not to be a blessing to other people, not to speak truth to others, not to encourage others. They came to church to sort of use the congregation as kind of a launch pad for their own personal experience with God. Does that sound familiar? Sounds a lot like the way we do church where we wonder, what am I getting out of this? And, and did I really benefit? And, oh, it's really no different. If I'm online, I'm still getting something out of it because I'm able to sing at home and I hear God. But, but what are, from online, what are you bringing? Because it's not just about what you're receiving. We're not just here so that you personally can have some sort of encounter with God. You are here to contribute to what the body of Christ is. And the church at Corinth had lost sight of that. And the the church in North America, we've lost sight of that as well. This sort of consumerist approach that is just about me and God. Paul says, no, it's not okay. I mean, good for you that you're speaking in tongues and you're talking to God. That's great, but that's not the point of church. We got to talk to one another. Verse four, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, what does Paul mean when he talks about prophecy? What do we mean when we hear the word prophecy? We often think about Elijah and Elisha. We think about miracles. We think about them calling the nation of Israel to repentance. We think about Jeremiah and Isaiah predicting the future and and making pronouncements. Thus says the Lord. And then it gets contained in scripture. When we think about prophecy, we think about scripture. We think about thus says the Lord. We think about infallible revelation because God is speaking. That's what we think about. We think about Good Friday and and our elder Roy Wahab walking us through Isaiah 53 as God's word spoken by a prophet predicting the future. That's what we often think about when we think about prophecy. But what does Paul mean when he talks about prophecy? Look at verse 3. What's the point of prophecy? Upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. My question to you, whether you believe that prophecy still continues today or whether it's ceased, my question to you is, do you believe that the Holy Spirit can give one Christian words to speak to another Christian that would result in that Christian being built up encouraged or consoled. Do you believe that's possible? Because if you believe that that's possible, then you believe in prophecy. 
because that's all that Paul means. Yes, there was a special category of prophets in the Old Testament. Yes, for sure, but there were other prophets in the Old Testament too who didn't write scripture. And yes, there was a special category of New Testament prophets, Ephesians 2.20, that were foundational in establishing the church. But there were other other forms of prophecy. Paul here is using the term prophecy, but we use our definition of prophecy and insert it into 1 Corinthians 14. Rather than looking at what does Paul mean when he talks about prophecy, he means the Spirit of God giving us words for upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. That, that, that's what Paul means when he talks about prophecy. That still happens in the church today. Even cessationists would believe that that still happens in the church today. They might not call it prophecy. They might call it something else. But Paul calls it prophecy here. And so I'm very comfortable calling it a prophecy because that's what Paul calls it. Then he says in verse 5, because he he. In in de-emphasizing the importance of tongues and elevating prophecy, Paul wants to be very careful, as he always is throughout this letter, when he's talking about singleness and marriage, or whatever topic he may be addressing, food sacrifice to idols, he always balances both views. He says in in verse 5, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. He says, listen, I'm not saying that tongues is bad. I'm not saying that he's going to say at the end of the chapter, don't forbid speaking in tongues. He says, I want you all. Now, does that mean that every single Christian is supposed to speak in tongues? Again, some people on the continuationist side will say that tongues is so important that every Christian must speak in tongues. That's not what Paul means. When Paul says, I, I wish that all of you would speak in tongues, it's like back in chapter 7 when, he's, when he was talking about singleness and he says, I wish all of you were like me. When he said, I I wish you were all single. But that's not what Paul really wants. It's it's, it's a rhetorical statement. It's it's a hyperbole. Paul had already said, rhetorically, he said, do all speak in tongues? The answer is no. He doesn't mean that every single Christian must speak in tongues. He's just simply saying, it is a good thing. It's a good thing, whatever tongue, whether there's another language or some sort of spiritual language, Paul says, it's a good thing For someone to relate to God in this way. It's a gift from God. But he says, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater. That's the same word back in chapter 12 verse 31 where he said pursue or desire the higher gifts. The greater gifts. It's the Greek word mega. You know something that's mega important. Mega powerful. He says that the, the, the prophecy is greater, it's mega, than the one who speaks in tongues. And he says, unless someone interprets. See, this is the key difference. He says, if tongues are interpreted, then it's equal to prophecy. That, that prophecy trumps uninterpreted tongues, but if tongues are interpreted, if people are able to understand what is being said, then that changes everything because interpreted tongues like prophecy see it there in verse five he's like a broken record he's used this word four times in the first five verses because the church is built up the goal whether your spiritual gift is tongues or prophecy or teaching or helps or whatever it may be, the end game. Don't just get so focused on tongues and prophecy. That, that's not what this is about. 
whatever gift is going to build up the body. That's the end game. Use your gift to build up the body of Christ. But Paul's concern was that uninterpreted tongues was not building up the body of Christ. It was one gift that was supposed to be active in the body, but it was being misused in such a way that it wasn't building up the body. So Paul begins with this, with this comparison. Now look with me at verse six. He says, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, he says, how will I benefit you? Notice his perspective on going to church. His, he comes to church not for his own benefit, but to benefit others. He says, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching, unless I say to you something that you can understand? That's his whole point. Then he moves from comparison to three illustrations, to three uh, illustrations. He, he says in verse seven, even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct do not give distinct notes how will anyone know what is played so he talks about a flute he talks about a harp here's a contemporary harp if Jameson were just to go up here is it okay if I do this I know this guitar is important to you he gives me the thumbs up if he just does this there's no distinct sound it's horrible we don't, know how to, we don't know how to sing along. There's no melody. No one can appreciate the sound because there's no distinction. So Paul uses, first off, the illustration of the flute and the harp to say an uninterpreted tongue, it's just noise. It's just the clanging cymbal or the noisy gong of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because there's no loving motivation to serve the people around you. You're being blessed. You're, you're praising God, but you're not loving others it, because you're just being a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. So a flute or a harp. Then in, in verse 8, he says, he says, and if, if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? He's also using a musical instrument, but a different context. Not in singing or worship or musical appreciation, but in battle, in armies. Armies for, for, for centuries have used trumpets or bugles, certain signals. It's like, it's like a, an intercom system in the army to know when to wake up, when to break camp, when there's an enemy invasion that's coming. But if the bugle isn't following the language, isn't sending the proper signals... And the army doesn't know what to do. So Paul says in the same way, a harp or a, or, or a flute, no, no one really understands the melody. No one can sing along. No one can tap their feet and, and enjoy the music. He says, even more so, if, if the bugle player in the army isn't playing properly, the church, we won't know what to do. We won't be able to follow the orders. We won't be able to to do what God wants us to do as soldiers in his army. Verse 9, he says, So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible. Again, this is Paul's sticking point. It's not being interpreted. No one understands. He says, How will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. 
It's not benefiting anyone but yourself. Verse, verse 10, he launches into his third illustration. He says, there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So now he uses just a, he uses the illustration of language. So whether tongues is a language from heaven, or whether tongues is a real earthly language, Paul explains language with the illustration of language. And he talks about those moments in your home or at the grocery store or at the medical clinic where people are speaking a different language from you. And how do you feel in that moment? You feel like a foreigner. How are you supposed to feel when you come to church? Supposed to feel like a family. Family shouldn't feel like foreigners. We're members of the same body. We're limbs and organs in the body of Christ. We belong to one another, but when tongues go uninterpreted and when people are just serving their own personal need for a spiritual high, it causes other people to feel like outsiders, and that's just wrong. That should never happen in the body of Christ. We shouldn't feel like foreigners. We should feel like family. He says in in verse 12, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. If, if you want the manifestation of the Spirit, and the church at Corinth was convinced, like many churches today, that the true sign of the working of the Holy Spirit is this spontaneous speaking in tongues, that that proved that someone was spiritual or proved that God was working in a particular context. Paul says, listen, if you want real proof of the Spirit's work, the manifestation of the Spirit, then use your gift, not for yourself and your own enjoyment or your own fulfillment, Use your gift to build up the body of Christ. And he says, strive to excel in building up the body. That's the same word back in chapter 13, verse 15, where he says, love doesn't insist on its own way. That word insist is the same, the same word for strive. You gotta want it. There, there, there's this desire not to have all the attention on you, not to have the greatest spiritual high that you can have, not that other people would think of you as spiritual, but that you would build up the church. So he starts with a comparison. This is prophecy, this is tongues. This is why prophecy is superior to tongues if tongues are uninterpreted. And then he uses these three illustrations and then now he's, he's going to hit them with some application. Application for the uninterpreted tongue speaker, application for the other believers, and then application for unbelievers. We'll start with the uninterpreted tongue speaker. Look what he says to them in verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So the person, oh, we don't need that slide yet. Thanks, brother. Um, the, the one who speaks in an uninterpreted tongue should simply pray that they're able to interpret, they, that they could interpret their own tongue so that they could then communicate to the church what, what the Spirit is saying in and through them. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. It's not only for the benefit of the church, but Paul is saying, actually, you can benefit yourself. Because he says, if... 
If you pray privately in tongues, and I have friends, there's leaders in this church who pray privately in tongues, but when you pray privately in tongues, your, your mind actually doesn't know what you're saying, and so you can pray that you would interpret. And again, I have a friend who prayed for an They had this tongue that they were praying regularly. They prayed for an interpretation. They got an interpretation from God. They don't go and, you know, grab a microphone and speak their whatever tongue they have in the middle of or anything like that. It's just something that their mind is now engaged in what they are saying. So those who have the gift of tongue should also pray that they would be able to interpret so that their mind, in verse 14, that their mind would not be unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. So with my spirit, that's what happens with tongues. But then once there's an interpretation, your mind. So we're, 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 given, we're told what Paul means, just like we're told what Paul means by prophecy, we're told what he means by tongues. Tongues is prayer. Verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is, un, is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. So what is tongues? In Paul's context, tongues is a form of worship. It, it's, again, it, it's a personal way to worship the Lord. But again, it happens in your spirit, and you should pray that you could interpret it so that you, not just your spirit is engaged, but your mind could be engaged also. I will sing praise with my spirit, and I will sing praise in my mind also. Verse, verse 16, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? So here's another thing that tongues does. So it's prayer, it's worship, and it's giving thanks. Because it says if you give thanks in a tongue. So these are the three things that, that tongues does, or at the, tongues, the kind of tongues that Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians 14. It's prayer, it's, it's thanksgiving, and it's worship. But look at, look at verse 16. Now he talks about the other believer who's at church and you're speaking in an uninterpreted tongue it says, put yourself in their shoes. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider, that's an ungifted person, someone who doesn't have the gift of tongues or the gift of interpretation, how can they say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Amen means yes, I agree. But you can't say amen if you don't know what the person is saying. Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough yourself, but the other person is not, here it is again, being built up. So you have the person speaking in uninterpreted tongues. Here's the slide now. They're speaking in uninterpreted tongues, and that's great for them, but the other believers can't say amen. They can't agree in verse 16, and they're not being built up because they don't understand what is being said? The key here is intelligibility. Can the people around you comprehend what you are saying? Verse 18, Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Whoa, okay. So Paul apparently spoke in tongues. Where did, in what context did Paul speak in tongues? Look at what he says next. Nevertheless, in church... I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul says he speaks in tongues. Where did he speak in tongues? Not in church. Some sort of own, his own private time of prayer and worship and praise. He says, he, he says he does it all the time. He says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. 
He says, but in church, in church, he says, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others. In order to instruct others. That's the key. He wants to be able to teach. He wants to be able to console and encourage and build up. He'd rather do that than speak 10,000 words in a tongue. That's, that's 2,000 that's 2, times more important. Five words versus 10,000 words. The average person can speak 100 to 130 words per minute. Paul says, I'd rather speak five words than to go on for an hour and 45 minutes in tongues. Five words. Good morning, Jesus loves you. In church, the goal is to build up. If the Spirit has gifted you with tongues, thank God for that. Pray that you would be able to interpret. But that gift is not just there for your benefit. You don't come to church so that you can just benefit. No, you come to church to build others up. Verse 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. What do children only ever think about? Themselves. They only think about when am I going to eat and when am I going to play and when are you going to look after me and when, when, when it's all about me, right? The whole point of growing up is to teach the child that it, it's not all about them. But Paul says, you're, you're being children and you're thinking, you're coming to church and it's like you got a sippy cup and it's like it's all about me. He's saying, grow up and build up the church. It's not about you. Verse 21, in the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus... Tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. Paul quotes here the law, which is sort of a catch-all term for the Old Testament. He's actually quoting Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28, Isaiah is prophesying to the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Samaria or the kingdom of Israel, and he, he's, he's speaking on behalf of God. This is thus says the Lord prophecy. And it's predicting the future. And Isaiah predicts the future by looking to the past. And, and God is saying, I've spoken to you so many times. I've spoken to you in Hebrew. I've spoken to you through the prophets. I've spoken to you in a way that you could clearly understand. But here's the next thing. Here's the next way I'm going to have to speak to you, Israel, because you refuse to repent. You refuse to repent, therefore, I'm not going to speak to you in a language that you can understand anymore. You want to become like all of the other nations? Fine, we're going to have one of the other nations come and rule over you, the nation of Assyria, and they're not going to speak Hebrew, and they're not even going to let you speak Hebrew, and they're not going to let you continue with your culture. They're, they're going to rule over you with a foreign tongue. Isaiah 28, 11, For by a people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people. This is Old Testament predictive prophecy. This isn't the encouragement and consolation that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 14. This is, this is something far more significant. He's predicting the future. The future invasion of the Assyrian army in the northern kingdom. But he's predicting the future by looking back. He's hearkening back to a prophecy made by Moses in Deuteronomy 28. Where, where again, Deuteronomy 28, 
always says, if you listen to God's voice, if you listen to God's voice, if you listen to God's voice, you'll be blessed. But then he says, if you don't, here's what's gonna happen. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like an eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand. Not being able to understand the language is a sign of the judgment of God. Go even further back, past Deuteronomy. Help me out. What other story of the Bible where misunderstood languages communicated the judgment of God? Help me out. Not in Deuteronomy, not in, yeah, the Tower of Babel. That's right. Uninterpreted tongues, a language that you can't understand is a sign of the judgment of God. People read read of verse 22 that says tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers and think that we got to speak in tongues because it's a sign to believers but we miss the thus. Do you see the thus at the beginning of verse 22? Thus in verse 22 connects it to the prophecy in verse 21. The reminder that if someone doesn't understand the language it's a judgment on them. What Paul is saying is that if you come to church and everyone's speaking in a language that, that, that you can't understand. That's not a sign of God's favor. That's a sign of God's judgment. That there's a pattern in scripture. And look at, the, look at the hypothetical situation he describes in verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsider or an unbeliever enters, will they not say that you are out of your minds? So here's, here's the next layer. In the, so if someone speaks in an uninterpreted tongue, other believers can't say amen and they're not bailed up, but unbelievers say, you're out of your minds and so I'm out of here. It is a sign for unbelievers, but not a good sign. It's not a sign of favor and blessing. It's not a sign of come on in. It's a sign of judgment. And Paul is saying, we don't want to put up those kinds of signs. We want to put up signs that invite people in, that people can understand. Now, there's two really important things for us to understand as a church, and we've lost sight of both of these things in the church today. Verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together, the whole church is supposed to come together. So again, we're, we're trying to accommodate those who are viewing online, but this, is, this, this can't go on indefinitely. Loved ones, you got to come. We got to come together. This is right here, when the whole church comes together. Yeah, there was a season when it was harder, there were lockdowns, but, but now, now we've got to come together. That's the first part, so we've got to get here. The second part, we've got to bring unbelievers here. Notice it says they come together, and Paul describes this as this is an everyday occurrence, that outsiders or unbelievers are there. We've got to be bringing people to church to come and to hear the gospel, and, and, and that they would hear it in a way that is clear and that is understood. Look at verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, notice this, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. 
The unbeliever will say God is really among you, not because he saw some strange manifestation of the spirit or speaking in these different languages and not being able to make sense of it. No, what is it that made the unbeliever become convicted and called to account and the secrets of his or her hearts being revealed? It was the clarity It was the clarity, the aim of a church gathering is clarity. That it's intelligible, that people can understand it, that we're speaking their language. And yes, this might mean secrets of the hearts being revealed. It might mean that someone is led in the spirit to speak. I I feel like God is telling me to say some specific thing about something and it talks about someone's exact personal situation. That could happen. But it could also just be that as the church talks about the greatness of God, remember the point of prophecy is upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. What builds up the church? What encourages the church? What consoles the church? It's Jesus. It's the gospel. It's the gospel that reveals the secrets of men's heart. It's the gospel that calls people to account. It's the gospel that will cause someone to fall down on their knees and say, surely God is among us. And that is what we are called to do. And that is Paul's heart for the church at Corinth. It's not, you don't just come to church for your own personal spiritual experience, your own spiritual high, for you to somehow get fed, for you to build yourself up. No, you come to build up others. And when you come to build up other believers, it spills over. And we see unbelievers coming to Christ. And that's Paul's heart and loved ones. That's got to be our heartbeat. That lost people are being saved. And coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And knowing that God is among us. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we pray that you would make us a people who are others-centered. Who out of the overflow of your love for us that we would serve the needs of others, Lord, because that's the kind of God that you are. You sent your son not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so God, I pray that we would approach church not as a way of how can I be built up? Who can serve me? How can I have my needs fulfilled? But that we would come selflessly seeking to build others up. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us. We pray, God, that there would be true manifestations of the Spirit in this place. And true manifestations of the Spirit involve people being built up. And so we pray, Lord God, that you would do that in our midst. And God, there's no greater evidence to prove that surely God is among us than the bread and the cup that we're about to take in our hands. That, that your son came and dwelt among us in flesh and in blood. And that your spirit has been sent to dwell among us, to bring us together as the body of Christ. And so Lord, be with us now as we take these symbols in our hands. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.